This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say, he, he, Shimon, and welcome, wow, to another thrilling episode of Equity Mates, where we're all about don't stop till you get enough investment wisdom, whether you're bad to the bone in finance or just a smooth criminal. Starting out, we're here to get you off the wall and moonwalking your way to some serious dividends. As always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren, and who am I? Uh, you are Michael Jackson. Correct. Um, you are also quickly losing us listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that was a tough start. My voice is not uh, warmed up this morning. I imagine it was even tougher for the people that had to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. No, nah, look, I think you always want to start with a chat GPT rewritten introduction. Um, and, you know, you can't begrudge you for what chat GPT spits out. So... I think let's let's just move on from that. How about this though, quickly? If you have an idea, so of just if people are watching on YouTube, uh, they'll see that Bryce is trying to drink his protein shake and speak at the same time. Yeah, it's also falling onto the desk. So I'm trying to clean There's it up an as argument well. you could have just done that before we started recording. <laughs> um, if you have a recommendation for, or if you'd like to hear me give a persona or a crack, send it through contact at equitymates.com. Nice. Well, with that said, let's get to today's episode because there's a lot to cover. We've got a listener call from Patrick talking about building a portfolio and rebalancing a portfolio. We're going to talk about investing in India and compare the two ASX listed India ETFs and pick our favorite. We're not going to sit on the fence there. So a lot to cover, but Bryce, as always, let's start with uh, what we've been doing, what we've been learning, and what's been happening. And the biggest news of the past week, the biggest company in the world, the leading technologist in the world, announced their latest and greatest product, and the world collectively shrugged. Yeah, Apple iPhone 15. That's it. Let's yeah. move on. <laughs> Are you buying? I actually probably will, but that's just because I am four years into a phone. My plan's done. I've maxed out my memory. I think it's time for an upgrade. Yeah. So I generally just fall into that sort of cycle. Anything in between, I, I don't. Yeah. yeah. Shares fell 2%, but it was more to do with rumors at that stage. Now, I think policy that Chinese government employees were going to be banned from using Apple products. Mm. Um, I think that's telling that uh, even on the day that Apple announces their latest and greatest, it's not even the biggest news about Apple. Like that's how much the world and the markets shrug at new product launches. Well, even if you watched the one and a half hour prezzo that they that they do. And let's be honest, we didn't. I did. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. I, wanted, I didn't watch it all. I skipped through a f- fair chunk on okay. YouTube, but I probably watched 50%. Really? Yeah, well, I just wanted to see what it was. Interesting, You're not busy, are you? Interestingly, <laughs> oh, this is at night. <laughs> interestingly, a lot of it was all sort of pre-made video, but the first half of it was actually the watch. That's what they were really pushing. Yeah, the new yeah. ult, the new ultra. Apple Watch Nine and Ultra Watch Two. Yeah, crazy that we're already up to nine generations of the watch. Yeah, and now there's a thirteen hundred dollar watch. Yeah, the, the ultra, yeah. which um, one of our mates has. Stupid. Really? Yeah, Who? Rohan. Oh my god! Of course he does. <laughs> it's for like adventure people who like yeah, climb and mountains and he's not deep climbing sea mountains. diving. <laughs> <laughs> also, the naming of the event: Wonderlust. Yeah. Yeah, come on. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you've noticed, but 
I've seen a lot of their outdoor advertising and it's all about, it's like a black background, silhouette of the phone with a big, in big letters, titanium. Yeah. Is that meant to get us excited? Like, I guess so. I, uh, it looks cool. I just, I, <laughs> it just has no meaning for me. Hmm. Like, is titanium better than the metals that you're using now? Yeah, like, well, compared to my phone, it definitely I is. feel like there's a level of consumer education that needs to happen about like why we should care about titanium. Looks cool, bro. Look <laughs> at it. <laughs> oh, on the on the dive, Sasha and I unpacked, well, at least my theory about why the shrug is the point now with Apple, why they don't want us scrutinizing it too quickly, but they still want to make a big song and dance. Uh, so you can go over and listen to that. But yeah, I don't think this changes the thesis for Apple. I don't own Apple outside of ETFs, but they're just going to keep on keeping on. The services revenue story is the story. It's now 19... It's not even a story anymore. Well, it's, it, you know what I mean? Like, okay. it's the happening. services <laughs> revenue is the key part of the yes. thesis. <laughs> 19% of revenue last year. Selling iPhones was 52% of revenue. So, the services revenue is still the biggest. But it's... Uh, selling iPhones is still the biggest. Services revenue is the biggest growth, growth. driver. Yeah. Um, 900 million individual people had at least one Apple subscription last year. Uh, five years ago, I think it was about 450 mil. Five years before that was like 30 mil, something like that. Those numbers are off the top of my head, but 900 mil last year. That's more than 10% of the world pay okay. Apple some form of subscription. Um, then obviously, yeah, anyway. So it's a, it's a fascinating story, um, but I think it's been well told. So let's move on. Just a little tidbit that I found interesting. We are going through pretty tumultuous times with inflation, Ren, as we know. Is that the <laughs> tidbit that you found interesting? Yeah, <laughs> next. But a French supermarket chain, always keeping our finger on the pulse with what's going on in, in retail supermarkets, a French supermarket chain is slapping shrinkflation labels on products that it says have gotten smaller and pricier. The, the supermarket is Carefor. They've marked 26 items, including Lipton iced tea and lint chocolates ahead of price negotiations with suppliers. Now, if you're wondering what shrinkflation is, it's where suppliers will reduce the product size or what they offer, but keep the price the same. The, the classic example that when I was in Woolies that drove me nuts because I loved this product was Tim Tams. They went from 10 to 9, but kept at the same price at 5.50 a pack or whatever it was. Right, okay. Yeah, and I'm yeah, just yeah. like, you're kidding. Yeah, but so your price per Tim Tam is going Price up per still. Tim yeah. Tam goes up, you're getting less for it. Other examples, think about all your ice creams, Magnums, or anything in the ice cream space on a like individual stick. They're, they've reduced it considerably in size. Rice crackers have oh, reduced, have a, they? yeah, okay. considerably. Rice crackers have reduced a, an entire row. Really? Yeah, yeah. Keep same price. So be wary. Like if you if you know a product well, keep counting. Okay, that's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. And I don't mind the name and shame tactic, like supermarkets calling out their suppliers, putting themselves on the side of the consumer. It's a good branding piece. Mm. I would bet you all of the money in the world that any of Carrefour's home brand products, like their Carrefour brand products... Won't get a slap. Didn't get slapped, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just to clarify, the reason that suppliers do this in times of inflation is because their input costs are going up. So they have two options, which is either increase the price of the product, which they don't want to do, or the supermarkets just won't essentially push through the price increases. So therefore, to make sure they maintain their margins, they reduce how much they're actually giving to customers. Yeah, yeah. There is a third option, except a hit to the uh, gross margin. Yeah, but... 
like accept that you're going to be a little less profitable for a little while. Yeah. But that's never an option that they choose. No. No. Anyway. And we're an investing podcast, so I guess that's not an option we should advocate. No. But we're also consumers, so I wouldn't mind it sometimes. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Now, uh, on our Google uh, Doc, you've just written CBA. Yes, CBA. Now, you the might be thinking... The AFL I'm Collective sorry. Bargaining Agreement. Yeah. Oh, have I actually... Oh, damn it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you might think I was going to talk about Commonwealth Bank, but obviously not. I am talking about the Collective Bargaining Agreement. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Which one? NRL? They AFL. did a... Okay, AFL. yeah, yeah. Finally, it's been closed out, not to bore everyone with AFL chat, but if you... If if you have been following along, it's been a saga going on for a couple of years now. Gil McLaughlin's final piece of the puzzle before he leaves. It's been signed off. Over the next three years, I think by the end of 2026 or 2027, guess what the average salary is going to be for men's AFL player based off this CBA? 250 grand. 600 grand. No way. <laughs> yeah, the average. The average. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Unfortunately for females, 40 to 70. So okay. still a huge gap to make. I mean, up I there, mean, the big thing in AFLW is to get the salaries to a level where they can be full time. Like that's because most AFLW salaries now require you to have another job. Yes. Yeah. 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 So like, yeah. get that forty get that to, to seventy yeah, to like yeah, exactly. seventy to one hundred as yeah. like a and first them, step. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what they what the bargaining agreement did say was that they're going to hopefully get an additional something like an additional 14 games over the next like four or five years so a full season which should then lead to um which should then lead to i guess a more full-time salary yeah i mean like there's the, the obvious question with small sportsmen and women's is do you invest in the game and then expect it to pay back over time which is what like women's soccer has done and women's cricket has done or do you say from day dot you only get paid and you only can invest what you make and that's a recipe for not really growing the game but anyway mm. that's a whole mm. other conversation mm. i don't know if anyway okay. this let's isn't the <laughs> afl podcast <laughs> <laughs> well bryce let's uh, i'm gonna stop myself there we'll save the afl chat for the afl podcast coming 2024 debatable <laughs> but last week you questioned whether nrl teams have songs yes. um it's a big thing in AFL, even at like local park footy. I was explaining it to Alice and she was very surprised that we sang songs yeah. after winning. Um, <laughs> I could still sing my song. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and Souths in the rugby league, I know they have a song, but we weren't sure if other teams did. A, a equity mates listener who's quite close to you called to set you straight. You have one new message. Hey Bryce, it's your Bill speaking. Glad to hear that you've backed the Panthers in for a three-peat. And, Ren, I'm sorry about AFL Grand Final last year. It's clearly blinded you to picking winners, so you go in the Bronx. But that's okay. Um, however, I'm a bit surprised, Bryce, that you don't know the Panthers song. It's super famous. I think everyone outside and inside of NRL knows it. Um, I believe we're going to play it now so you can get an idea of the lyrics, so you can be ready to belt it out uh, with me over the phone on Grand Final Day. All right. Well, Ren, there you go. I stand to be corrected. The Panthers do have a song. And uh, thank you to Doug, that uh, uh, a massive Panthers fan. He's actually my brother-in-law listening closely and uh, appreciate it. Good luck to you, Doug. The three-peat for the Panthers is coming up. I don't know why I needed to get the drive-by on the Swans there. but um, <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> anyway, the, let's keep moving back to stocks and back to a company that you came across last week who I had never heard of. Mm, me either. And when I did hear of it, I was like, ah, oh, this is just why you love investing. 
Now, no original ideas here. This just came across in my... No points for originality. No points for you originality. don't make any more, more money having an original thought. <laughs> I, I heard this um, on a podcast, so I'll, I'll tell you about that afterwards. But here's the company. It's called Kingspan Group, and it is listed over on the Irish Stock Exchange. The ticket is KRX, listed over on the Irish Stock Exchange. Now, it's a global leader in insulation products for buildings. The bulk of their business comes from insulating some of the biggest commercial buildings in the world. All of the Tesla Gigafactories, all of Apple's headquarter, Emirates Stadium in London, even the MCG, they are involved in insulating. Where you'll find these massive builds, you'll find Kingspan's products. But here's what's just... The numbers behind this rent are fascinating. 80% of its revenue comes from the insulation panels. It does 8 billion in sales, 600 million in net income, has a market cap of 13 billion euros. Last week though, you did, um, you spoke about ResMed and the, the compound annual growth on their revenue over the last five years or so. Yeah, 13% over five years. Kingspan has compounded annual growth for revenue of 15% for the last 30 years. Okay, <laughs> impressive. Incredibly impressive. So, Ren, since they IPO'd in 1989, they have 100 times the return. Wow. <laughs> and it is family run. So, you think about what Andrew Brown talks about. And a, lot of what about a lot of our experts come on the show and talk about the, um, the value in having family run. It's run by a guy called... Um, well, the founder was Eugene Mutag. He's in his 80s and his son... Eugene Jr. has been running it since 2006. So that's the company, but it was pitched by a very well-known expert here on the show, Nick Griffin from um, Munro Partners. He should have pitched it here. I know. It was pitched on the podcast Business Breakdowns by um, the Colossus guys. We are responsible for that connection. Yes, we which we them. introduced. <laughs> yes, and so I thought this is a match made in heaven. There you go. Yeah, That's cool. so we introduced Nick to the Colossus guys and subsequently this episode has come about. Oh, you could have given us a, a bit of a stock tip I before. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But how about this? It's 2023. No news there. Nick has been watching this stock since 2009. Has he invested? Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, 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 very much. And the biggest growth driver, we know that Nick loves the sustainability play. And the biggest growth driver is the net zero targets that both governments and organizations are putting on, on themselves. And one of the biggest, um, I guess, ways to get to net zero for a company or to drive those net zero emissions is to have a, a green building, so to speak. And so a lot of the products that are going into these new buildings is Kingspan. And you might be thinking insulation, which is the insulation that goes between like the studs in walls, the, the, the sort of padding, I guess. This is not what that is. The, the key differentiator and competitive advantage here is that they actually build paneling that double as walls. So they're actually weight bearing. And so the insulation goes between insulated paneling. They fill it with a whole bunch of sort of material and then they can be built into walls. So you think about the Tesla Gigafactories, all those big wide panelings you see. Um, are these Kingspan products. And so they sell direct into architects, they sell directly into manufacturing businesses and yeah, they're the, a world leader in this space. Epic. So if you're interested, all I will say is we'll put a, a link to the full episode in, in our show notes because it is worth a listen. Nick does uh, a much better job than I did. but Mate, you did a great job. Love Very coming across businesses like this and uh, love seeing that we've set up a, 
a great match between the Colossus guys. Yeah, and I think it's just another reminder that like some of the most exciting investment returns come from the most boring companies. Yeah. Just like brilliant companies doing something where they have an advantage, executing well over a long period of time, selling insulation to building sites. Yeah. Like, or to construction companies. Like, it's just, it's not AI driven. It's not lithium. It's not sexy, but it's, great yeah. yeah so there's a whole acquisition play behind it they're great acquirers of businesses as well obviously uh, nick and, and munro partners have been looking at this since 2009 but the, the they're very bullish on it from from here so yeah check it out kingspan group all right ren let's move on we've got a listener question that has come through from paul so let's give it a listen you have one new message hey bryce and ren uh, my name's paul i medium time Listener, first time question asker. I had a question about my investment journey, I guess, and, and the bits and pieces that I've learned along the way. And um, just wanted to get your opinion and your thoughts. So really where, where I'm at from an investment perspective is through COVID, I probably went a little bit too hard on some speculative type investments, which were doing really well probably sort of 18, 24 months ago, but have probably dropped off a fair way in recent times and I guess my question probably comes down to sort of you know as if, as I've as I've continued to go through my investment journey and learn new things and want to pivot into probably more a sustainable and sensible investment path what to do with the equities that I'm holding at the moment that are sort of sitting in a loss position so not ideal but you know trying to balance that view of hanging on to see if something will bounce back versus cutting my losses and, and moving into a different direction. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Love what you're doing and appreciate the advice. Thank you. Well, we should be clear from the outset that this is not personal advice. It's just general advice. And we should just be clear more generally that Paul's given some information on his investment goals, but certainly not enough for us to give you personal advice. But let's speak generally about the dilemma of you've got a portfolio of individual companies and then you want to rebalance into, I guess, more of a core and satellite approach. And if you were in that situation, would you be selling some of your individual investments to balance out the portfolio or would you just be building with new investments over time? I re- I'd probably be doing both. And we've spoken about this multiple times on the show, but the way that I would be approaching the small cap part of it or your individual stocks is if your thesis is broken, that's a time to consider selling and and reallocating that money in. And I spoke about that a couple of weeks ago with my portfolio, some of the individual stocks I own, thesis is broken, I've gotten rid of them and I'm going to be allocating into core. And I think the second part to that is if it was an emotional buy and and it ripped up and, and now you're in a loss, be conscious of loss aversion, which we spoke about on our Get Started Investing show last week which is hanging on to something because you don't want to have the feeling of solidifying a loss. So I think it, for me, it just comes down to, do you genuinely still have conviction in those investments? If you do, you know that small caps particularly are volatile. And so the, the, you, know, you, you need to be prepared to, to weather those storms. Um, if you have no conviction and your thesis is broken, then why, why hold on to them? Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, a couple of other considerations for me, two more. Uh, there's certainly a tax benefit. Like if you're underwater on some of these individual stock positions, you can claim the capital loss. You can offset that capital loss against any capital gains. 
that you make in this year or future years. Um, so that's something to consider. You've just got to be careful. You can't do a wash sale where you sell these stocks that you've lost money on to claim the tax benefit and then buy back in and just have a lower entry price, have mm. a tax benefit. So if you're going to sell them for the tax benefit, don't then just turn around and buy back in. But there's like what you were saying, like if your thesis is broken, if you're not convinced of them, that is a consideration. My other thought around it, this is just opportunity cost. So I am sympathetic to the idea of like, I still believe in these stocks, I'm going to hold them. And then n- new money that I'm taking from my paycheck every fortnight, I'm going to then build out more of a core investment portfolio. Uh, that's probably how I would approach it with the caveat that if you're then taking the money that you're putting aside for investment and just building out the core, if you come across any other great opportunities, you know, like Bryce comes on the show and pitches, what was it? Kingfisher Group or... Kingspan. Kingspan Group <laughs> or, you know, last week I was speaking about ResMed and, you know, I thought there was an opportunity there. If you're like, I'm just building my core, you might miss out on having a bit of dry powder on the sideline to take advantage of those opportunities. So I think, you know, like as with all things in life, it's a balance and it's what works for your individual investment goals. But I think in broad strokes, selling any dogs that you don't think are good investments anymore, that the thesis is broken, claiming the capital loss on those. Yeah. Having that as a starter for your core portfolio and then building your core portfolio with new investment money, but with with the idea that you'll also keep a little bit of dry powder on the side in case any good opportunities pop up that you're interested in. I feel like that's probably the the approach I would take. Yeah, I, I've had this dilemma for years, I reckon, with just dog stocks sitting there. It still it can emotionally be like, you know what I mean? Difficult yeah. to actually be like, let's just pull the trigger. Yeah, and I think like, you know, if, if you were speaking to like a hardcore financial planner, they would be like, you know, portfolio weightings yeah, is the yeah, most yeah. important thing for yeah. like risk tolerance yeah. and goals. And that would be like your overweight stocks, your overweight small cap stocks. You, this is too risky. You should be selling that and you should be rebalancing. But for me, like the beauty of being a young small dollar retail investor is that you're not constrained. You can let your winners run. You can let a portfolio get out of balance. You can rebalance over time rather than having to rebalance immediately there's transaction cost benefits, there's tax benefits. We don't have a lot of advantages as a retail investor. So like we'll use them when you can. Maximize the ones you have. But it's at the end of the day, it's risk tolerance. Like if you're going to freak out if your portfolio halves again from here, don't be so exposed to risky small caps. Mm. Like Mm. go in eyes wide open that like you could get cut in half again. Just Mm. because you've been cut in half before, Mm. you could get cut in half again. Mm. What's the what's the saying? What's uh, what do they call a stock that's fallen ninety percent? Oh, um, something and then doubled <laughs> or no, whatever no, it is. No. What do they call a stock that's fallen ninety percent? A stock that has fallen eighty percent and then halved. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like stocks could fall fifty percent infinitely. Yeah. Until they're fractions of a cent, and then they could still fall fifty percent a day, and just get in smaller, smaller increments. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just because it has fallen, don't think it won't like it's at a natural low Mm. so like go in eyes wide open about your risk tolerance and how much risk you're exposed to in your portfolio um but with that said if you're comfortable if you believe in the stories of the stocks if you think they're trading at good prices and you don't want to sell it's okay to 
build up your portfolio balance over time. Mm. You're not, there's no rush here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The rebalancing stuff is one that I feel like we've been, you know, we had a conversation with, um, with Glenn James and, and co a couple of weeks ago, which will be released soonish on his show. Um, and they were talking about, you know, if your stocks run, you need to sell out and yeah. put it back in. And wait. I'm just like, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Vince, like Vince Scully was like, yeah, you got to cut your winners. And yeah. And I mean, they have incredible experience and there is, there is merit in doing that at particular times in your life. But I think for you and I, that doesn't either, either I'm too inexperienced to really know the well, long-term that's, effects. That's certainly true. Yeah. <laughs> to know the effects of not doing that. And maybe one day I'll find out, but if my stocks are running, I'm not. I'm not trimming them to redeploy d- into to something else. Yeah, yeah. It, it's you know, like if you still believe in the company, if it's if it's going well, there's no reason to sell because it has gone well. And for something as arbitrary as like portfolio weights, people are gonna hate that I just said that. But <laughs> I, like it, it is in a sense arbitrary because it's not about like optimizing financial return it's about optimizing for risk tolerance and when we talk about risk it's not the permanent impairment of capital risk here is volatility and volatility is uh, yeah i like you know volatility is not good it can be risky as you get older but volatility is a fact of life mm-hmm. and as you're young like embrace the volatility let your winners run well, double down on your best ideas. Try and grow capital. Well, when we introduce our new segment, either this year or early next year, so apologies uh, if we do it next year, the pimp my portfolio. Okay, <laughs> I would I would love to put my portfolio down for an expert to see how they think about the weightings and uh, get their view on it. Yeah, yeah, and I think this is a sentiment that we're going to echo in a lot of these answers. Like the intention, the goal that you want to get to a well-balanced core and satellite portfolio is a good goal. There's a number of different routes to get there and none of those routes are the wrong route. People will have really strong opinions on like which way to go, but like just keep heading towards the goal, whatever feels right to you with your risk tolerance and your time horizon and goals and all that stuff. But like you're doing well. Nice. Well, thank you, Paul. Keep the questions coming in. Contact at equitymates.com. If you have one, you can leave a voice message as well via our website, equitymates.com. We'd love to hear from you, get you on the show. Well, Ren, we're going to take a, a break. And then on the other side, last week, we had an interview with Surab Mukherjee all about India. And it got us thinking about investing in India. So we're going to go through two ETFs that give us access to India right after this. Welcome back to Equity Mates. We are discussing all things India. We've had a, an inspiring interview last week that really got us. Not, it's not like we didn't know what was going on in India, but it just re-enthused us, I think, about the opportunity that that, that country has. Yeah, people should go and listen to it if you haven't already. It was We love all of our interviews and we learn something every time we speak to an expert, but there are a few interviews that you walk out pumped. You walk out inspired and that was certainly one of them. And just the the level of the amount of change going on in India and the rate of that change and the rate of development is really interesting. And I think it challenged a lot of my preconceived ideas about where India was in its sort of development timeline. 
this is the flip side that when a lot of when you, you get the really bullish people and then the bearish people are like it's a basket case yeah so it's hard to know but he was certainly super bullish and some of the companies that are coming out of there and the tech that's coming out of there is phenomenal yeah he spoke about two companies gmm flowder yeah uh, was one uh the indian company that got so big that it bought out its german parent company yeah i think it was german yeah and then the other one was bajaj finserve yeah uh, i was having a look at the like indian companies after the interview and confusingly although not uncommonly in india there's bajaj finserve and then bajaj financial and i was like are these two companies that are just basically the same name turns out financial is a subsidiary of finserve but they're listed separately. All right. And you see that a little bit in India, like the Adani group of companies is a big group of companies all with like separate listings. The Reliance um, group, the massive industrial conglomerate also has like a whole lot of different listed companies that are all sort of owned. So it's like an interesting corporate structure that you see. You see it a bit in the West, like um, my mind goes to the company that owns Formula One. Um, Liberty. Liberty Media. They have that thing where they've got like multiple listed vehicles and subsidiaries all separately listed. But you see it a bit in India as well. Just like mm. the parent company might be listed and then the subsidiaries might be separately listed as well. Mm. That's a long way of saying we heard about some very interesting companies. Yes. Great companies, Ren, but hard to access. That's right. The unfortunate thing is that none of the brokers that we use give access to Indian markets directly. And none of the most commonly used brokers in Australia do. But the good news is there are ETFs that there are. do give us access to the Indian stock market. Love it. Great thing about ETFs, Ren. Yeah. <laughs> Global investing. So, Ren, there are 14 India-related ETFs listed in the US. You've got your vanillas, like the iShares MSCI India ETF. Then you've got your thematics, so the Van Eck Digital India ETF and the India internet and e-commerce ETF. And then as always, there's some weird and wonderfuls. You've got the Wisdom Tree India X state-owned enterprises fund. Yeah. Now, most people's brokers do give them access to American ETFs. So you can have a look at all those over in the US. But, you know, there's currency risk. The Aussie dollar is pretty weak against the US dollar at the moment. It's a bit of a headache. It's not really a headache for tax, but there's a formula that you fill out online, the W8BEN. But really, like when we're talking ETFs, there's a comfort in investing at home. And so I had a look at the ASX. There are two India-themed ETFs. The BetaShares India Quality ETF, the ticker is IIND, and the GlobalX India Nifty 50 ETF, the ASX ticker is NDIA. So Bryce, let's go through them, talk about how they're different, and then pick one, general advice only. <laughs> So let's start with the BetaShares India Quality ETF. The ASX ticker is IIND. Which I think is the more popular one. I get the vibe. I don't know when they released first, but I always go to the Nifty 50. Really? Yeah. You might be uh, giving us a hint at which way you're going to lean at the end there. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the BetaShares India Quality ETF, it's an index which selects the 30 highest quality Indian companies based on a combined ranking of the following key factors, high profitability, low leverage, and high earnings stability. So that's the three key characteristics that they look for to choose the 30 companies that go into that. that pretty good. Yeah. Making profit, not a lot of debt, and profit's pretty stable. 
That's uh, that seems to be good. That's quality. Largest holdings: Tata Consultancy, seven percent of the fund. Infosys, also seven percent of the fund. Love a company that is close to your heart. Yes. Uh, as your stock of the year pick. Yeah. Although I don't think you own it personally. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> too big. Too boring. <laughs> and then uh, ICICI Bank, five percent, uh, rounds out the top three. Point eight percent management fee. Oh yeah, that's okay for. It's a, okay. It's not great, but it's okay. It's a foreign market. There's a bit of active management in selecting the stocks, so it's probably what you'd expect. The two biggest companies in India, Reliance Industries and HDFC Bank. Because this is actively managed, it's not just an index. It's not just like biggest to smallest. Um, so I had a look at where those two companies were. Reliance Industries is 10th in the weighting in this beta shares ETF. HDFC Bank, not in the 30 companies in the ETF at all. It's not there. Which surprised me because we've had a few experts on the show over the years that have spoken about it as a high quality company. Um, Mary Manning a couple of years ago is the expert that comes to mind. Uh, So it was surprising that HDFC Bank wasn't in there. But that's the BetaShares India Quality ETF. Picking 30 of the highest quality Indian companies, rolling them into an ETF, changing those 30 companies over time. And then let's move to the Global X India Nifty 50 ETF. Love it. ASX ticker NDIA. Yes, so the Global X Nifty 50 is investing in 50 of the largest companies in India. That's it. Top top 50 market cap. This is an index product. There's yes. no active selection over, you know, what companies we're going to put in and what weighting they will get. Yeah. It's just Indexes last forever. The yeah, companies die. <laughs> indexes last forever. That's yeah. a chapter in our latest book. Don't stress, just invest. Um, but the Nifty Fifty is India's top fifty. Yeah, well named. Also, unfortunately named because the Nifty Fifty was a group of fifty American stocks in like the sixties or seventies that everyone just bought. It was kind of like the big tech stocks of the past, where it just everyone piled into them. You didn't get fired from buy- for buying IBM. And then the Nifty 50 fell. There you go. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, But India, their top 50 is called the Nifty 50. And that's what GlobalX invest in. So unsurprisingly, the largest holdings are the largest companies in India. HDFC Bank, uh, 14% of the index, 14% of the fund. Reliance Industries, 9%. ICICI Bank, uh, 8%. 0.69% management fee. So slightly cheaper than beta shares. But it is an index an product, index. so you'd expect it to you'd be cheaper. Ex- yeah, exactly. Um, so the question, Bryce, of those two ETFs, we're excited about the opportunity in India. Which one are we buying? Uh, I'm buying the Nifty 50. And why is that? Firstly, I have a, I'm, I'm frustrated that there aren't actually ETFs out there that give you access to the smaller end of India, which I would, I would like. Opportunity. Opportunity. I would like to be getting not the micro caps or anything way too volatile, but like you can't get access to anything below the 50 here. I, I think this is a classic example where active management plays a role. Mm-hmm. Foreign market. Mm. Um, Deep knowledge. Yeah. Uh, like the regulatory, uh, you know, like the the level of like compliance and accounting and stuff like that is a little bit, it's a little bit murkier than like the US or Australia. Like this is where active management plays a role to do the due diligence, to do the work and to find the gems. Saurabh say that something like 40% of companies in India have been done for dodgy dodgy books. 
footage. I just make that. Let's up. just say allegedly <laughs> there because allegedly. I, don't, I don't remember. But anyway, like, anyway, the reason I like the Nifty Fifty, uh, aside from it being cheaper, is the way that indexes operate. Yeah. You're going to get the best companies that are coming up and through and being in that portfolio. And and whilst, you know, I'm sure a lot of the ones that go into the India quality would also mirror a lot of the ones that go in the Nifty 50. It's still an actively managed one, but you're letting in the Nifty 50 just the index do the work. Mm. So you're always just going to get the top 50 companies as they grow. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel I, I'm the same. Like the in a market like India, which is growing and all you want to do is capture that growth, it's just hard to dis- to determine where that growth is going to come from. Like, I don't think anyone, you know, like, I don't think anyone at the, s- the end of 2022 would have said the best performing stock of 2023 is going to be NVIDIA. Or mm-hmm. if they looked at Europe, I don't think they would have said the best performing stock is going to be Novo Nordisk. It's just like the market is unpredictable and the power of an index is you capture the unpredictable company that runs. Mm-hmm. And so when you just want to, like, passively have exposure to a theme or a market the less decision making in there is often better um and so yeah i would lean towards ndia as well um it's worth saying uh surab talked about two companies uh jmm flouder not in either of the etfs so probably not big enough but jaj finserve is in the global x one and then bajaj financial which is the subsidiary of Bajaj Finserve is in both. Mm. So anyway, Great. just FYI. Love it. I'm actually just looking, uh, I've, I've, this has prompted me to look at Infosys because I think last time we did a check-in, it had bombed. Um, it's having a resurgence. I know, I, I have actually. <laughs> wow, it's having a resurgence out of, I need to do a bit of DD on this to understand what's going on. But yeah, anyway, we'll no, pick no, this what up. Is, no, just, just what is it year to date? Oh, year to date, it's still down, but only down 2%. Since we checked, since May, it's up 20, 21%. Okay. Well, Axon Enterprises, my stock of the year is up 21% year to date. Okay. So but I still think last th- time we had a f- about a 40% yeah, gap. Yeah, so I've closed yeah. the gap. You close the gap. If I end in the positive here, I'll take a win. Okay. Well, saying that I never win, <laughs> yes, I just want to win. win. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm going to do a bit of DD, understand what's going on. Maybe now's the time to buy. Anyway, Ren, we will, um, we'll leave it there. A reminder that if you have any questions for us, you can send them through to contact at equitymates.com. And speaking of questions, we have our Ask an Advisor episode coming up this Thursday with Patrick Malcolm. So uh, tune into that because we're going to be answering all of your questions that have come in for our advisors, some of the best advisors in Australia joining us here in the studio. And then on Friday, we continue with our new series called Uncovered, where we shine a light on a lot of the small caps listed here on this in the Australian market. And we have a very interesting company, Imricor Medical, doing some amazing things with heart ablation. ablation. <laughs> there we go. All right, heaps happening, uh, but that will do us for today. Um, see ya. <laughs> see ya. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. 
This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have physicians in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.